0: When it comes to self-development, the vital point is to practice. It's not about the path you choose, but the steps you take on your journey. If you're ready to transform and alchemize your unique purpose, then you've tuned in to the right frequency. Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. As a transformation coach and breathwork facilitator, I'm invested in making the dynamic landscape of personal evolution accessible. My goal is to inspire you to take action for yourself. You have the capacity to transform, grow, and bring your dreams to life. And with so many diverse and powerful modalities at our fingertips, this podcast aims to be more than just a conversation. It's an interactive guide providing not only knowledge, but also hands-on practices from meditations to breath work, from journaling exercises to real life transformation techniques. I'll share my own experiences while also spotlighting those who are walking their paths and embodying what they teach. Because at the heart of transformation, the key is not just to learn, but to practice. That's the vital point. Are you ready to move from theory to practice, from passive listening to active transformation? Let's do more than just discuss change. Let's integrate it together. Just as words don't cook rice and hearing about push-ups won't make you stronger, remember the vital point is to practice. Let's begin this journey together. My guest today is Taylor Brachis who is a DJ, writer, energy healer, and psychedelic guide based in Boulder, Colorado. She was a speaker at the recent MAPS Psychedelic Science Convention this year, and her talk was entitled Rave as Ritual, the Intersection of Collective Movement and Entheogens. She has 18 years of experience with psychedelics and has spent over a decade immersed in the electronic music community as a raver, DJ, and music critic. As a music journalist, she writes album reviews and curates a feature series on rave culture called Dance Floor Epiphanies for the global publication Resident Advisor. Additionally, she's studied spiritual traditions for nearly 20 years, is a trance channel, and specializes in a channeled form of energy work called Pranavidya. She works at an integrative healing center in Denver called Agni and Soma. She also is a certified psychedelic practitioner through Sound Mind Institute, and was a guide and energy worker for the Manhattan-based psychedelic organization Cardia. She also holds an MFA in creative writing from UC Irvine and is currently writing a memoir. So, Taylor, welcome to the Vital Point podcast.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah. I appreciate being here.
0: Yeah. So, um, it, like we mentioned in the intro, um, you gave this amazing talk at the MAPS conference, and... Um, I'm not like trying to blow smoke when I say that when I was looking at this just massive itinerary of talks and panels and presentations <laughs> and workshops, um your talk really popped out to me and was like one of the things that I marked as i gotta I gotta go see this oh,
1: and, that's awesome, thank you, <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think one of the reasons for that is that i I was really curious about the topic rave is ritual, um, because it's something that I've often felt in my own life and seen in other people, um, uh, as you know, somewhat of an old school raver myself, you know, like I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but like, I mean, I started listening to electronic music in probably like 95 and started raving in yeah. 97. Um, <sighs> And That's
1: awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but there there's been these moments, even though there was, obviously, like the the way that it was introduced to me was this recreational setting. And I had had experience recreationally with,, uh, you know, psychedelics before raving. Um, but even before experiencing, the rave environment, I always felt like, even though I didn't know uh, like what a ceremony was, um, necessarily, or like what integration was, um, I often felt that my journeys and my trips, I I like saying journeys more than trips, but whatever, Mm -hmm. um, were leading me in this more spiritual direction. You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've had times where I'm just sitting around and like giggling with my friends or whatever. But there were Mm -hmm. oftentimes these like really introspective, um, insightful, kind of like leading you into the deeper mysteries of life type experiences Mm -hmm. rather than like, I just want to watch the wall, like breathe and like, you know, (laughs) colors and stuff. Right. And when I started going to raves, it was like here is this environment that's kind of here's this container where you can play within that.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's how, yeah. that's how I've always felt. And then when I started, um, even before we were dating, but when I started, you know, becoming friends with my current partner who works a lot with ayahuasca and really had never had a recreational plant medicine or psychedelic mm-hmm. experience literally the first time we hung out we started having this conversation where I started describing my rave experience to her and she was like this sounds shamanic and I'm like what is that uh-huh. and so we were co- we were coming from these two different worlds but like connecting it through the rave as this ritual container and yes. so yeah like I'm, I definitely want to like talk more about that but like I think that's a good place maybe just to stop talking and let you <laughs> kind of reflect or I would love to hear more if you wanted to maybe uh, give a little bit of a summary of what the Rave's ritual was and then we can kind of jump in and dissect it more
1: yeah definitely wow i love that story you know of you and your partner that's that's so beautiful and also it's such a i think microcosmic example of the larger um perspectives you know that sometimes are at odds or people maybe there's some tension between them you know oh if you're in the psychedelic space you're doing something wrong if it's recreational or ravers don't understand like you know the like the more intentional you know like super super specific contained environment you know there's they seem at odds and yet and of course there are there are stark differences but what i was trying to really get across in my talk is the rave is a ritual it is a ritual whether or not you want to call it that that's what it is and um it has a lot of the same indicators of traditional ritual you know it's it's a context it's a contained environment there's specific etiquette there's specific things happening there's intentional music like the djs are are kind of shamanic you know for lack of a better way of putting it and like some people in the rave scene might you know people might take issue with me saying that but there are some djs in the scene who literally are approaching it from a shamanic perspective right Um, Eris Drew is, is one of them who I quoted in my talk and, um, you know, so, and, and it is people moving together to music on a psychedelic in a communal setting with at least some loose intention, even if the intention is to have fun, you know, and (laughs) so. So yeah, so it's it's a ritual context, and I think um, the reason it exists is because we lack ritual in our culture. And so I was I'm just really interested in the way raving kind of fills this hole in our modern lives that. You know, we evolved with ritual throughout human history. And in indigenous culture, like ritual not only ritual, but dance is essential to life in many cultures. It's it's not just dance, it's a language, it's a dialogue, it's a way to it's storytelling, it's a way to pass on ancestry and history. And um, you know, I'm just I'm I'm super passionate about dance. I grew up as a dancer, so you know, we're talking about a dance ritual here and I think it's like just one of the most powerful rituals (laughs) to move together as you know as a, a community to music on a psychedelic and feeling your body in a new way um that is yeah that's a beautiful modern ritual i think and yeah and i could talk more about it i just think it's like we're returning to the primal that's been really suppressed in in modern society Um, And we're doing that with with other therapeutic psychedelic spaces, too. You know, I think I think psychedelics in general, you know, it's the yes, like the power of healing is a part of that. But the power of them to reintegrate ritual back into people's lives is also kind of a beautiful part of it, because we need rituals other than like the wedding every few years and the funeral you know, and you know, if you're not religious, you have less rituals, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm, and, and yeah, I mean, I could talk so much about the spiritual dimensions of rave culture <laughs> and how that's shown up in my own life. So,
0: yeah, I, I recently talked with, uh, Dr. Dr. Joe Tefor, and, you know, I was asking him cause he's a, you know, Western trained MD and also like Peruvian trained ayahuascaro. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, what, what's the connection between the science and the spirit, you know, sort of the, the, the mystery, the, the psychedelic world. And he said, well, the, the psychedelics open us to the spiritual and open mm-hmm. us open us to that heart energy. And yeah. that's always something that I found within the rave culture and not not every single party and not everybody is going to do that but it's a container it's a it's a it's there if you want it and i think that was one of the things that you you know mentioned in your talk was you you cited this study uh kent Mm -hmm. study from 2021 Mm -hmm. where it was talking about these four d's dance drums deprivation of sleep and food and drugs and that people, when they were surveyed afterwards, when there was an intention of, I'm going and I'm going to enter this with the intention of having this experience, that there was this sense of awe, um, this sort of transformational um, thing that could happen. And I think that a lot of people end up um, sort of having that experience in the rave setting is like, maybe they didn't know that they were going into that, but when they're there and they, (laughs) they, they enter the container and they are in this experience where there is this culture of like, Hey, you're free here. You're free Mm -hmm. to be yourself. You're there's, this is a judgment free zone. This is an area where you can explore yourself, whether that's through dance or through psychedelics or through friendship, um, or all, you know, all those things together. And then they open into that. And and there is that sense of awe, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, and I I just I love like watching you right now, just like what just (laughs) happened somatically, because like we were like we were talking about before we hit record, I had that sense last night as I was thinking about this interview. And like, going back to some of my rave moments and like Mm -hmm. the the music and the memories that are like imprinted on my mind that whole just like that somatic like ah like it just feels Mm -hmm. so good and it creates these like it creates these imprints that like just stay with you forever you know even yes even now um and I really love that you brought in that community aspect of it, you know, that mm-hmm. um, for those that may not be aware, um, could you just briefly explain um, one of the sort of core to me, core tenets of rave culture, which is plur.
1: Yes, sure. I also want to mention the Kent studies since yeah. you brought it up too, before I go into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, because the a really interesting thing about that study, I mean, for me, you know, the results were pretty unsurprising. <laughs> um, and yes, the four D's taken together in the rave context produced awe, but it also produced significant positive behavioral outcomes in individuals. Yeah. And it also produced deep, meaningful social bonds that really lasted, you know, so um yeah. And that's like, yes, of course. Uh, but the, to me, the somewhat surprising result was that they also noticed that with, without intentional use and without the ritual context of the rave, the four Ds actually indulging in the four Ds led to negative behavioral outcomes, mm. which is basically saying it's the rave itself. It's the ritual context that's leading to the positive behavioral shifts and the deep, meaningful social bonds. So, um, like, it, yeah, drums and deprivation and dance alone, you know, without the ritual context, it's not as powerful, you yeah. know? In fact, it can be detrimental. Yeah. So it's just, it's pretty much showing it's the rave, it's the context that is creating these outcomes um, and and because of the communal aspect, And I think that, um, you know, and for for context, like I've I've I was a spiritual seeker, like heavy spiritual seeker before I found rave culture, and I was already super into psychedelics. Um, I started experimenting with psychedelics pretty young when I was a teenager, um, and yeah, I just uh, didn't necessarily. So so when I found rave culture, it was just like perfect. It was right. just a perfect synthesis of my love for psychedelics my spiritual seeking and spiritual relationship to psychedelics and then my my background in dance my obsession with music it just all went together it was like wow this is the thing you know but really it's it's the community aspect like you said that's really so beautiful and um you know, I had done, I've done plenty of therapeutic one-on-one psychedelic use. I've done solo psychedelic use. I've done religious psychedelic use. I was in the Santo Daini at one point when I was younger. Um, So I've done, you know, the ayahuasca settings, like I've done the therapeutic, we're doing this to process trauma only with one therapist. Like, and I think all of the settings are powerful and important. Um, I'm, you know, but that said, There's something about relational healing that I think is really important. I mean, our trauma, trauma comes from an experience with others, you know, and I think that one way to really work through a lot of trauma and other things is to be vulnerable in spaces with other people. Mm. Um, it's a form of group therapy, in my opinion, you know, and you experience all kinds of things at the rave, you know, mostly positive. And I've had some negative experiences at rave. So it's like, it's not a perfect situation, just like there's problematic things that occur in ayahuasca circles, you know, it's like, um, but I think there's a heavy stigma um, on, on rave culture in general, but especially some people in the psychedelic community, I think have, I think I'll say a limited perspective on, on what it is. Um, and I think one of the most important parts of it is, is that it's communal. It's, it's something you do with others. And the other really cool thing is that you can also be alone on the dance floor. You can shut your eyes. I mean, that, that, You know, I will be alone in my body, um, experiencing my body um, for hours on end without being around others. Um, And yeah, I'm it's 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 a really beautiful experience.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that it's important that you mention that. And what it it brings up for me is the um, ceremonial container or even when I think about, you know, uh, sort of meditation in the Buddhist context, you know, there's lots Mm -hmm. of different mindfulness meditation and other meditations. Right. So, you know, I always say like, well, what, what makes something quote unquote Buddhist is that before you actually start the, uh, whatever action you're taking, there's an intention behind it. Right. You're like, Mm -hmm. you're bringing that intention to mind and then you do the thing. Like, in this case, uh, this example meditation, and then at the end, there's like a dedication. You're like you're sort of bringing that intention full circle of like, oh yeah, this is why I did this, right? And and sort of yeah. dedicating that merit energetically. And so I think that the rave can be that as well, and and it goes it co- it comes down to intentions. It's like, are you? are you going there with the intention of like sort of seeking or being open? And that's an interesting thing about psychedelics is sometimes you can set one intention and Mm -hmm. the medicine's going to take you in a different direction or the, the set and setting is going to take you in a different direction. And then you have that opportunity to like, well, do I want to go with this? Do I not want to go with this? Um, but with that container of the rave with these, you know, the right DJs that are basically like these neo shamans and, Mm -hmm. um, are coming from an energetic perspective of like, how, how am I creating this emotional and energetic journey through the music that I'm playing, um, and this environment where you can be free, um, Mm -hmm. to express, to connect, to just like you said, be yourself, and completely be by yourself if that's what's needed in that moment. And then what's amazing is, like, you could literally be by yourself for hours and then, like, open your eyes and, like, turn to the the person next to you and make this, like, super amazing, like, deep connection Yes, that just doesn't happen in, like, a bar or, you know, like, sort of even, like, sometimes a club environment or just normal life, you know? Like, you wouldn't necessarily, like just become best friends with the person at the table next to you at the restaurant, you know? Um, right. And, and I, and I do think it's important to sort of to mention that, that plur aspect because there's a, that's a sort of a foundation, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So return to your, your plur question. So it stands for peace, love, unity, and respect. Yeah. Uh, it's been a attendance, you know, it's been a word that's known in rave culture for many, many years, uh, you know, since I think the nineties, um, I'd have to look that up, but yeah, I mean, a, a long time it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and when we talk about intention setting. It might look a little different in rave culture than it would in, you know, a psychedelic therapy experience. Um, in the sense that there are these foundational understandings, you know, that permeate rave culture, you know, that people know about. So, and pleur has kind of like shifted form over the years in the sense that now. Um, I would argue, especially lately, it's gotten even more intentional with uh, certain clubs. For example, you can't go into the club until the bouncer gives you a little talk about the nature of PLUR, essentially. Um, they may not, might not word it that way, but uh, there's been a big big push in clubs and underground rave culture in the past several years to make sure that people who are coming understand this is an intentional environment and it's about safety and it's about harm reduction and it's about creating a safe pe- a space where people feel safe and free to be themselves so there's also talk about you know respect everybody um you know there's there's a zero tolerance policy for disrespect in many forms um so that's something that's been Happening more in rave culture, so there is this this kind of intention setting that that does occur a lot of the time, where people understand if you do certain things or if you're a jerk, like you're gonna get you're gonna get a, a, there's gonna be a consequence. Um, and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of etiquette in rave culture too, like that um, some institutions and clubs like take to a certain degree. Like for example. You know, Bergein in in Berlin, one of the most famous clubs in Berlin. That is like an iconic, amazing place. Um, you know, I had many many experiences there <laughs> in my mid twenties that changed my life. Um, I'm a little jealous, but, of
0: that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for example, there like. Um, they were like they're known for their very strict door policies, but um, when you get in, it's it they put a sticker over your phone camera, um, and a lot of places do that. Um, no phones on the dance floor is just a part of rave culture. It's it's a piece of the etiquette piece. Um, if uh, like at this club nowadays in New York, um, if you have your phone out, a, a security person will gently tell you, please, you can't have your phone, you know, or, or leave the dance floor. Um so and the phone piece is about a lot of things it's about um it's i th- i think it's really about presence you know we're we're acknowledging that it's it's a form of being super present when you're dancing on the dance floor with others um, it, it kills the vibe, is what people say, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of vibe killer potentials where you wanna limit that as much as possible. I mean, how would people feel if they were opening their phones in an ayahuasca ceremony? Right. You know, it's the same thing. It's like we're not going to open our phones because we're in an altered state of deep presence with others. And it's almost disrespectful to open a phone, you know, and also shine a light in a dark setting. Um, So there's things like that that are a little bit more on the etiquette side, but you could view them as a form of intention setting. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, again, (laughs) like that exists (laughs) in
0: in a way, like in, in a way I'm. I feel grateful that when I started to rave, it was like basically before cell phones, and like, <laughs> like yeah, we had like pagers and stuff, and so th- there wasn't that aspect to it. But I'm really, I'm really glad that you that you brought up that that moment, and you, you mentioned that in your talk about like the club where the you know before you get to go and dance and be a part of this community, somebody's like sitting there and saying, "Hey, just." these are, this is kind of our culture and this is, we're inviting you into this space and this is the expectation that we have, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not restrictive. In fact, it's helping to bring that community together. And Mm -hmm. it reminded me of, you know, one of the places that I started this conversation with my partner with, which was describing to her and like, you know nine be, between like 99 and like 2001 2002 um this sort of role that i assigned myself with my girlfriend at the time um which was we we <laughs> within like the la southern california like rave culture um we were what was known as good vibers and so like <laughs> Like literally, I would spend hours of the night with my girlfriend, going around and talking and meeting different people at the party. Like giving them candy bracelets, giving them like treats, um, learning like uh, different massages and different things that I could do to make Mm -hmm. their experience better but also like, but also just like talking to them and being like, Hey, how are you? Are you having a good time? Oh, is this your Mm -hmm. first time? Like, let me like, not like explain things to you, but do you have any questions? Are you having fun? You know, like what's, you know, and just like sort of like helping. Yeah. Like making sure (laughs) like my intention going and doing this was like anyone that I talk to, I just want to give them like the best make sure that they're having the best night as possible. So if that just means like saying like, hi, how are you? And like giving them a hug, that's great. If somebody's like, you know, real, like rolling really hard on MDMA for the first time, especially maybe like they've never been in this environment. Like how, how can I support them? And like learning these techniques of like energy manipulation and like just things Mm -hmm. that would like help bring the role up. And there were these moments that I mean, I, I met so many cool people that way, like, you know, yeah. friends that I would only see at these parties. But like I was I was explaining to her in this conversation, like some of the most magical moments to me during that time period were like, say, I would meet someone and they're like, oh, I'm ro- I'm rolling really hard. And I'd be like, oh, like I could give you this massage that'll make it even better. And they sometimes like, they'd be like, mm, no, no. And I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. And like, yeah. sometimes they'd be like, okay, cool. And so like, I'd start giving them like this massage. And sometimes I would just observe this. Like I wouldn't even be a part of it. Right. But like, say yeah. I'm giving them this massage and then some, but somewhere out of nowhere, like other people just appear. And like one person's like standing behind me, like giving them a light show and like somebody <laughs> else is like, has like a fan and they're like, you know, like fanning them. And all of a sudden there's like three to five people all just taking care of this one person. Yeah. Yeah. And like putting them in this state of like complete ecstasy where sometimes it's like their entire body would relax to the point of not being able to stand up, you know, because Mm -hmm. there was so much, like they were just in it, in the, in that medicine so much. And the way that that would happen spontaneously and like (laughs) it was almost like magical, you know, it's like, and and especially when you're watching it and not participating, just like sort of watching the good vibes, like come out of nowhere and like.
1: (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, this is why, you know, and also say, of course, like consent around touch is always important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But it's like it's it's one of these things where this is part of the communal aspect right. that I was talking about, you know, and this is why I, I started dance floor epiphanies, the, the future series that I I run for resident advisor, um, because I mean, I knew people were having these magical experiences with each other on the dance floor, myself included. And I wanted there to be, um, something in the music journalism sphere, the electronic music journalism s- sphere that was, just a little different that was more personal you know not just about like a, a news piece i know this party's happening or this festival's happening or this artist is doing this like like let's like name what's happening here like th- right. there are people having epiphanies on the dance floor with each other there are really transformative moments happening here so um and, you know, in that series is it's a collection of stories from people all over the world who recounts experiences like that, you know, um, or really deeply important and transformative experiences that they've had at rapes in their life. Uh, and um, they're just these little like paragraph long memoir vignettes and man, it's, it's hard to read them without crying sometimes. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, the, the experiences that people have. Um, and there's one there, I, I will say I get a lot of, uh, so I did this one called love in the club, um, a couple of years, I mean, it was a year ago or something. And it was about people who had had some experience of, you know, love, um, falling in love, you know, but, and it was interesting. It was so cool. Cause some people had met their partners who they became married to and had kids with who had been in the rave scene, you know? Um, but then a lot of it was about fleeting connections, you know, and there is something, there's a transience in, in the rave scene, it's interesting. Cause like you said, you have these momentary important experiences that leave impressions on you for the rest of your life. And yet sometimes it's a single night and that was it. And you met a person one night only and it it changed your life. You know, so um, I think that's also something about rave culture that I think is really interesting and and beautiful and something people don't talk about very often. Um, I don't know. It's, It's at the same time, though, this is this is a ritual that becomes a lifestyle for people. So, you know, they, they seek that, that moment, that transient moment over and over again. And I've done it, you know, for years (laughs) because that moment contains so much, it's really powerful, you know, these experiences that people can have. And, and um, I also wanted to mention like, you know, sometimes, okay, like there've been several times where I'm dancing with my eyes closed for hours so deeply in tune with my body and with my spirituality and like feeling like I'm connected to source on the dance floor. And then I open my eyes and I see a sea of bodies moving pretty much in unison to the same beat, And it is unity consciousness. You know, it's it's a powerful experience of, wow, we are all in this together. Um, you know, and and it's and it's we're all in it. it's like you can tell people are not thinking, you know, when you're dancing and when you're deeply in your body, you're getting out of the space of the cerebral mind, you're entering the heart, like you said, you know, and to have that heart based experience of, of movement, and then seeing that everyone else is having that experience. I mean, it's really, really
2: powerful. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to share uh, an experience or a couple of experiences that kind of um, illustrate what you were just talking about in my own way. Um, yeah. So they, they both were in Denver. Um, awesome. one, one was last year and one was a couple of months ago and they were both at the same club um, called Real Works. And mm-hmm. the first, the first one a year ago was like my favorite producer, um, for years and he was playing an open to close set, which meant Amazing. from Who? uh guy J. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, I, I know so, Jay. Yeah.
0: so, you, you know, he was started at like nine 30, 10 and was going till two in the morning. And awesome. so again, that's, you know, for, for, for the listeners or people watching, okay, that this, this happens, right. Sometimes yes. <laughs> like whether, whether you're yes. listening to one DJ, um, or a bunch of DJs, like the, the, there's a c- continuity that's happening from beginning to end. And, you yeah. know, even that, even, you know, nine to two is a pretty short amount of pretty time short. in the context mm-hmm. of the rave, but okay. I've
1: seen, I'll just mention too, like, I've seen many, like t- two of my favorite DJs specifically do nine hour sets. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, one, once my, my, one of my favorite DJs did a 12 hour set. Yeah. It's hard for people to fathom, but well, yeah. this is again, the deep, <laughs> this is the deep state that we're in. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Right. People that aren't you and me <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, for,
0: for us. It's like, it's normal. But so just to give people the, the context that this is, this is what happens. And yeah, it's cool when, you know, every hour to two hours, the DJ switching, that's normal, but there's yeah. something magical when there's one DJ that's, taking you on this journey where they know that it it is a journey. It is a story with these peaks and valleys. And there's an expectation that, yeah, there, this is a one continuous thing, even though you're playing different songs, even though people are going to come and go, that there also are people that are going to be there from beginning to end and like really allowing yourself as an artist. And if we're, putting it into this shamanic context, like energetically that you're creating this container. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this was a year ago. Um, I was still, I was just beginning to explore and heal a pretty, um, a pretty intense trauma that I had experienced. And so even though I went and I was really excited I was actually really disappointed in the experience myself because um, I didn't feel safe. Um, Mm -hmm. The environment was really, really overstimulating to my nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I didn't really take any psychedelics, I took like a microdose. um, It still was too much. And Mm -hmm. I spent most of the time sitting down on a couch, like trying to keep myself from freaking out because I really Mm -hmm. wanted to be there and like, listen to the music. And I ended up leaving early because I I just kept getting more and more dysregulated and I felt really disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward to a year later, I come back to the same venue, the same promoters and watched um, Nick Warren and Hernan Catano play together for six hours plus, you know, back to back and complete night and day difference of experience in terms Mm -hmm. of I was, I was, I was literally, I I was dancing and I looked up and I realized I feel completely safe right now. And the relief that I felt, the joy that I felt in like being back in basically almost the same environment, you know, same room, same mass of people, same lasers and lights and overstimulation, and like feel and realizing, wow, I feel really safe right now. I feel really good right now was magical. And I had the opportunity to consciously use some of the resources and tools that I had been practicing over the last year as far as somatic experiencing. As far mm-hmm. as bilateral stimulation, and mm-hmm. I like I I'm like wow, this actually works in this co- in this context because like EMDR is this therapeutic model where you're you're using bilateral stimulation. You can do that with the eyes, or you can tap. You know, like left, right, left, yeah. right, left, right. And I started playing with that in terms of how I was dancing because there's yeah. this four four totally. constant you know drum beat, and I was like, wait what if I like consciously make this into a bilateral sort of thing? And I started to notice how my nervous system was relaxing and responding to that.
1: (sighs) Totally. Oh my gosh. I love
0: that. And so not only was it like just, you know, watching these two masterful, you know, I definitely consider them, you know, shamans in their own way where they're just like, Mm -hmm. just taking you on this beautiful journey. Um, And they really just understand, you know, I mean, I think between the two of them, they probably have at least 60 to 70 years of DJing experience, right? Um, So they like understand how to move that energy, but like to be in that place where I could explore these things in an intentional way that I had never done before Mm -hmm. was just incredible. And the fact that I felt safe Mm -hmm. to, explore those parts of myself and you know open myself up to that mdma experience in a sort of unregulated environment because it's one thing it's like Mm -hmm. okay do you feel safe in your house or in a you know with a facilitator where you know it's safe you know you can go to quiet if you need to like okay it's taking me time to feel safe in that environment but to be back in this place where like my heart feels so free Mm. and to be able to feel safe and and joyous in that was like uh just Mm. priceless and i was there by myself i talked to Mm -hmm. two people the whole night um (laughs) and it was like one of the greatest like dance experiences that i can think of you know and and then that's there's good. a lot of them that I have, you yeah. know, like just like you, like yeah. where we could just sit here and like t- tell stories. Recount all of right, right. endless
1: dance experience. Totally. yeah. Wow, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, it makes me think of so many things. <laughs> uh, I think the first thing I want to mention is I had a similar experience back to, to Bergein, Bergein mm. in, in Berlin, the club. Um, I had two completely night and day experiences there. Um, and one was probably the worst trip of my life. Uh, so, you know, and I'm saying this for a few reasons, like it's well, yeah. Like, so there are times, like, again, the rave scene is not perfect because it's, because it's an unregulated environment. Like you said, like, you know, if you don't go into it with intention, it's going to get gnarly, you know, or if you have stuff that you haven't processed it's going to be super overstimulating and overwhelming and disorienting. And, um, I mean, it was the worst acid trip of my life. I felt like I was being dragged to hell and back. I could not approach the dance floor because the sound felt like I felt the sound so somatically and it hurt. Um, it was a journey. It was a, a wild journey of a night. Um, and I survived it <laughs> but then i went back again and it was like the best experience of my life and just totally night and day like just so good you know just such a beautiful unfolding and i i'll just mention like this is actually something about rave culture that i think is really important um and, and it, it's it's about the it's about the duality to some degree you know i mean like at proper raves, I mean, like, it's so primal, like, you're, like, the bathrooms are disgusting, you know, it's gross, like, you are, but it's, it's something about the primal nature of it, it can be dark and light at the same time, and I think that that's beautiful, and I think I, I kind of, to be honest, like, take issue a little bit with, um, like, of course, we want people to have the best psychedelic experiences possible, right? And we want to contain it very well. And we want to hold as a psychedelic facilitator. I do my best to curate the most positive experience that I can. But you don't know what the psychedelics and the medicine are going to show you. And like, let's just embrace that light and dark exists. And I think rave culture is like, such a good way to play with and explore that range in a safe environment. You know, it is a safe container ultimately, you know, it's like people for the most part are there wanting to have a good time together and support one another. Um, And, but I think there's, I mentioned this in my talk too, because it's a dance ritual and it's somatic, you know, uh, it creates this kind of very grounded transcendence i like to call it you know there's not whereas maybe there's like some spiritual bypassing happening in other contexts you know oh wow now i'm at source like immediately and um i'm so out of my body you know which hey i've had those i love those experiences they've been deeply transformative but with rave culture like you're 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 dancing like your feet are on the ground and you're in a container with a bunch of people And so, you know, you're going if you're going to have a bright transcendent, divine, you know, spiritual experience, or you're going to have a dark experience, like you're in your whole chakra system, you know, you're not bypassing the lower chakras, like you are feeling it all. And I think that that, um, is something that's kind of cool about rave culture is um it's a grounded ecstatic experience it's about going deeply into the body in order to go out of the body and uh that itself that like that right there led me to my own practices currently with energy work and everything i do um but yeah and and also like i love what you said about the 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 somatic experiencing pieces, because I didn't even think about that. And I'm surprised I haven't thought about that. Like the left, right, just normal dancing, back forth, back forth, like the way that that balances the hemispheres of the brain. Um, And I have my own ways of like balancing the hemispheres of my brain when I do energy work and stuff, like through movements I do. So I think there's something about, again, bringing it back to dance dance is really underestimated as a healing tool and for for inhabiting the body and and balancing the body especially if you've had physical traumas in your life
0: yeah so yeah and you mentioned that in in your talk of like the sort of the somatic um you know, the somatic release and the, the way that our, the, the nervous system works as far as, you know, shaking, trembling, moving to, to get that traumatic energy out of the body to complete that cycle. And that, you know, dance is a natural form of that. Um, you know, like, yeah, you can create a resource for yourself where like, you know, you're laying down and doing like a trauma release exercise, or, you know, like for me, I've, I, I, When I started doing trauma work, I, I connected to the fact that, like, when I was a kid, um, I was able to, like, basically make my leg shake without, like, uh-huh. without an affect, like it was really happening, but I could sort yeah. of like start the motor, and then just let it go, and it would go for a certain yeah. point, and then just release, and when I was a kid, I just thought I was just doing some stupid human trick, right? Like, I didn't know that I was (laughs) like, I I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And then as I started to do intentional trauma work, I was like, Oh, I can tap into this again, um, in a more intentional way. And it's funny, because like, I'll show my clients now, like, I'll be in, a, will be teaching a group. And, you know, they'll be talking about, well, how do what's this release and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, well, here, let me show you. And like, I can't always do it. Like sometimes I'm super regulated and like, I'm in a really good space and mm-hmm. like, I, I might only shake for like a couple of seconds, but usually it starts going and I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing this. Like I'm not faking this. This is really happening. Yeah. And they can just watch it, like get to a place where it like calms down naturally. Yes. Like the, yes. ba- the battery is, you know, depleted of its charge. Um, yes. And yeah, I it,
1: love this topic. Yeah. Yeah. This so, is, can we, I want to keep going. No, Sorry, no, no. So, yeah, I, I really,
0: I really loved that, you know, you, you brought that in to mm-hmm. your, to your talk, you know, like mentioning that because, yeah, it, it is something that's happening. Like, and I think maybe even unconsciously, like you might mm-hmm. not be saying, like, oh, I'm going to go and dance so that I can release this trauma. Yeah. But it's happening anyway. It's
2: happening. It's happening.
1: <laughs> right? It's definitely happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's happened to me so many times. And, yeah, I want to pause on this topic for a bit, if that's okay, because, yeah. like, the, the topic of, of tremoring, shaking is I'm obsessed with. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so so dance is a way to intentionally shake, you know, shake it off. Is it, <laughs> we we can do that with dance. Wow. Um and when you get into flow states with dance, you start to do it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's I can't tell you how many times it's like I'm not moving, like the music is moving me, you know, and yeah. Uh, and these, these deep flow states of dancing are just the way, and and just when you just allow your body's natural language of movement to occur, which is different for everyone, you know, it's, it's moving energy through your system. It's, it's releasing a lot of trauma. I've had multiple epiphanies dancing on and off psychedelics on dance floors where, I mean, I have had meltdowns on dance floors. I have had full blown, holy shit moments that I could never get in therapy about, also related to social stuff. Like, oh, I I have social anxiety. Where is that coming from? Okay, I'm gonna dance through it. I'm gonna be in my body and boom, epiphany about, wow, my social anxiety comes from the fact that I never received proper bonding with mm-hmm. my parents, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> things like that. And it's like, it's happening as I'm shaking my body right. intentionally.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's like, and this is also sort of how I approach my energy work. Like to me, to me healing in the body is a full system. It's a cohesive system between the physical, the energetic and the emotional. And it's really three bodies. You could add the mental to that, but it's like it's multiple bodies in one and they all correspond and they all communicate with each other. So when you start to work with moving the body, whether through dance or through unconscious shaking, you know other things can come up you know you might you might remember traumas you might even if you don't remember trauma you know your body has the memory right. the body keeps the score yeah it starts to release things um and yeah and it's it's such a beautifully powerful potent medicine you know to shake and and like just to kind of recap like some things i mentioned in the talk is um you know the tra- there's a trauma cycle you know that we experience as humans and also animals experience and you know different stages of the trauma cycle different chemicals are released in preparation for fight or flight and after and you know if an animal survives the trauma like they'll they'll tremor after to return them to equilibrium and it just moves it just moves the fear through the system You know, and humans have this, too, as you've experienced with TRE. And um, my sister actually was the one who turned me on to TRE because she started doing it Um, and she became obsessed with it. I mean, it was wild to watch, you know, I mean, a little it looks a little scary. Even it's like the body, (laughs) the body has its own knowledge, you know, and it knows how to release things. It's just that we've been so heavily conditioned it's been socialized out of us our natural natural trembling abilities um but like shaking is an important tool for releasing tension for m- moving trauma and yeah and she would she would just like shake unconsciously and like you know like it would almost look seizure-ish at times right. but she's like it feels so good you know and um and i do this with my energy work too so um Yeah, we can pause there, but I kind of want to tell you the story of how we even started doing energy work through raving. Yeah, please. Okay, yeah. So so there's uh, my favorite party of all time is actually in Boulder, where I currently live. And um, they don't advertise it at all, so I'm not going to talk about the name or or anything like that. Um, But uh, it's just a beautiful, intentional gathering on – sacred land, um in in the mountains, you know, I mean it's just it's along a river and there's a mountainside and um it's invite only. It's like it's very well contained, it's very intentional, it's very psychedelic, um, and just perfectly curated. And um so anyway, uh years ago, um I was in twenty sixteen, I was there and Um, you know, I, I took acid, I was uh, in a deep flow state dancing for hours on end. I mean, probably four hours, you know, straight, um, dancing flow state. And then I took a break. I, and there's this, there's this rock outcropping, um, on the land. You can, you can hike up to it and it's just like this rock that just like hangs off this cliff and it's like Valley mountain view. It's beautiful. Um. And I would go up there in the middle of the night to meditate and, um, I, yeah, so I danced, went up there in the middle of the night to meditate (laughs) and felt so good. Just like, so grateful, you know, so grateful for my life, just pure love, heart energy and just surrendered, you know, fully in a state of surrender and allowance. And in that moment, um, something happened, like I felt um, a pretty clear frequency shift in my system. And then out of nowhere, my hands and arms just start floating, they just start moving on their own. And I truly felt like I was not doing it. I, I felt like I was literally a puppet on a string. And it was freaky and amazing and like, whoa, you know, like what's happening? <laughs> and I, I was in a light trance. So I kind of like went into this half trance state where I didn't want to talk, you know, cause it, it, it was like trance, but I, but I could, if I wanted, I could also stop it if I wanted to, but I didn't want to because the feelings associated with it were just so powerful and, um, It was like the deepest peace and the deepest bliss I could experience. Mm -hmm. And I just felt um, all of this energy start to move through my system. And um, I, through my own past meditation, like I was in a Buddha sangha at one point, like I've had a meditation practice and then also through early psychedelic experiences, I I was already somewhat familiar with my energy body. Um, But this was like a whole nother level of being aware of my energy body and Um, I felt, what, and every time my arms did something or my hands did something, it was specifically, I know now what it was doing. It was directing the flow of prana in a very specific way through my system. And um, I remember as this was happening, it felt like my hands, what they were doing were literally drawing etheric source energy, like vital prana, like from the cosmos into, my root chakra and it just started to energize the kundalini and then it was like boom like the kundalini was rising and you know all these things were happening and and it was all like this stuff these mudras that my hands were making were doing all of this um all that said Um, then, you know, I stopped and I was like, okay, (laughs) let's go back to the rave. (laughs) This is at a rave, you know, and, um, and then I felt just absolutely incredible, a little freaked out a little bit, like, wow, that was powerful. Um, but just joined the dance floor, you know, had a wonderful time after that though, I was like, okay, well, weird stuff happens when you're tripping, like kind of didn't think much of it, you know, thought about it, but I was like, well, that was that. Um, and then, in the couple years that followed, every single time I would take any psychedelic, even a tiny microdose, it would start to happen automatically. And something had activated, you know, and um, and it was often at the rave. So I was like, oh, God, here I am again at the rave. And I have to, like, remove myself from the dance floor. It's <laughs> so, like go be in a corner awkwardly and, like, do this weird thing and, like, being super afraid that people are going to think I'm so weird. And, you know, <laughs> um, but then, you know, over time, I decided I was going to see if I could do it sober. And so I really grounded the practice and I – I was in grad school at the time and it was a very isolating time. So I just like really just meditated, developed it, tried and tried for like two years. And I would try to recreate the experience. I'd like, you know, dance and then I would meditate or I would like take a run and I would meditate (laughs) and see if I could do it. And I didn't want to force my hands. I just wanted to allow, you know, is this is this going to happen or not? And I couldn't I couldn't do it. And then finally one day, you know, after lots of just steady training myself, I um, was running on the beach and this was in Encinitas, California. And um, yeah, just sat on a rock to meditate and boom, it just started happening. And finally I was like, wow, I can do it. (laughs) And um, the really interesting thing too which i didn't even realize at the time um but it was on swami's beach which is like and i was literally like in front of the self-realization center that yogananda Mm -hmm. like it 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 was like what (laughs) you know so that was interesting um and then years went by and during covid lockdown that's when i really developed the practice and started to understand this was an energy work modality um, I started to put all the pieces together. I was, you know, <clears throat> for example, like this is an example of something um, like when it was when I was first deepening it, um, you know, one of the first big breakthroughs I had with it, I could feel um, a ball of energy and, and the field has texture. Like I can actually feel textures in the field and they're just different points of resistance. They're different knots and things it's it's the way that energy concentrates um and sticks in different parts of the field and the physical body based on trauma or based on repetitive patterns or habitual patterns of thought you know um it creates concentrated densities in your field and so i could start to tune in and i developed this like extrasensory perception and i was channeling i was in a i was in a trance and i would just kind of like be like, channeling it, you know, with my hands. And um, like, for example, I I found this ball of this ball, it felt like I was literally holding a ball of air. Um, And it was in front of my solar plexus chakra, and just was with it just working with it, you know, and not sure what to do, what do I do next, you know, and at a certain point, I started to identify that it was fear, it was the emotion of fear manifested in front of my solar plexus chakra in this weird ball and then i started to feel the fear the more i worked with it i'm like i'm feeling afraid you know and then it triggered you know a traumatic memory and then and then the moment that i'm feeling all that then my hands start to do things and then like a mudra will form and the mudras they just they just dissipate the 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 ball of energy. So it's almost like popping the balloon. And then when I when it it moves it and it and it kind of un unsticks it, boom, like massive emotional release just falling. And so that is how the energy is I'm I'm just giving this as an example of like, this is how the body is holistic. It's like, okay. And I'd always had digestive issues there too. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, um, it's energetic, it's related to fear and this emotional frequency related to this specific thing in my life. And then, and then when I'm able to cry about it, it's like everything moves and everything rebalances. And, um, it doesn't always take the form of crying though. Sometimes I shake. And it's like this hand tremoring that happens. It's like a hand shaking thing. Mm -hmm. And I know now this is another way of just releasing energy when there's like a really specific knot, you know, Um, it'll shake and it's just it's loosening. It just like loosens the energy. Um, And um, all these different kinds of things happen with my hands. And it's fascinating. And now I do this on clients, you know, at a certain point, I started to learn I could do this on other people so now i i do it as part of my work and it's something i offer in the psychedelic spaces too because i find it to be so so potent on psychedelics for myself and others i mean i can do it sober i like to do it sober but if i take uh, anything let alone a high dose i mean it's just incredible and um you know, it's it's definitely a tool for healing, and my clients have experienced all kinds of really interesting things and have changed their lives. You know, like things shift in their lives because their emotional and vibrational frequency has shifted, so they're they're then attracting and drawing in new things. So it's pretty wild stuff. Um, but all of this is to say, this happened because of rave culture. <laughs> it was raving that led me into this. So you know, and feeling so safe in those contexts, feeling safe and so vulnerable that I could actually be expanded enough to allow this type of thing to happen. I don't know that that would have even happened on my own in my house alone, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of potential with, okay, raving is one thing. What do we do with these expanded states and these like healing experiences that we have on the dance floor? How do we integrate those then into our daily lives um but thanks for listening to that long-winded story Um, yeah (laughs)
0: thanks for sharing it and you brought up a a couple of really cool points there as far as like how do we integrate it um (laughs) i think also something that came up for me is like the you know if we if we're open to the idea That our what we think of as our life is really a much bigger continuity of energy and, you know, experience and stepping into stepping into anything can be a catalyst for change. But like when we're stepping into that rave environment, just like when we step into a ceremonial environment or you know, a therapeutic setting where we're entering that crucible for change mm. for like a lot to happen, whether that's the release that needs to happen to like unlock the next thing, or we're reconnecting with some sort of energy that was there before, or we're just like, we're, you know, ex- getting exposed to a bigger part of the mystery. Um, I often mm-hmm. It's come up a couple of times on the show. I often like to sort of relate back to this, um, scene in the first Dr. Strange movie where he first goes to the the monastery and like meets the ancient one. And she's like, I haven't
1: seen it and I should.
0: Well, she, she's like, he's like, he's like saying like, explain magic to me. And Uh she says, you've been, you've been living your life looking through a keyhole and trying to expand that keyhole and then basically like she opens the door. Right. So think Uh about that. Think about that analogy, right? Like, and then if we think about the fact that as human beings, we base our reality on this tiny little sliver of the visible light spectrum, right? This tiny little sliver (laughs) of energetic frequency that we can see and we say, this is it, this is reality. Yeah. And yet it's a tiny little sliver of the whole. And even if you look at different animals, other animals are seeing and experiencing th- the world differently based on the frequencies that they are open to. Right. And mm-hmm. then one of the things that I've thought about psychedelics for a long time is that it is, widens that frequency spectrum that we have access to
1: absolutely
0: right and so instead of like absolutely. just this little sliver all of a sudden we're like open to a much wider spectrum and it seems like that sometimes the limit to that is really endless um yeah. so instead of like looking through a keyhole we're like breaking you know we're breaking down the door or like building a bigger hole in the door at least. And then all of a sudden like, oh, these things that seem like woo woo or seem impossible or, you know, that we, even the language that we might use around it is like, wow, the craziest thing happened. Right. Well, is it crazy? Or were you just open to a bigger aperture, Mm -hmm. you know, of experience?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And then totally agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, like yeah. also, um, just the, the similarities in what you described, um, in your own energy work. And it's beautiful that you've been able to like develop that to the point of working with other people. Um, it, it also reminded me of somatic experiencing, you know, cause it's like, you might start with somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. and I tell this to people all the time. I'm like, it might start as like. Oh, I feel something in my stomach, but as you develop that awareness, it can go to, I know the size of it. I can feel the edges of it. I feel texture to it. There's a color to it. There's a shape, there's tactile sensation. And then as that awareness grows and grows and grows, all of a sudden there's a memory or an emotion um, in myself. Oftentimes there's, I can tell how old, That sort of trauma or that energy is like how long it's been there because it has a completely different somatic experience to me. Yes. You know, like the stuff that happened when I was four, when my parents divorced, is like different than what happened to me when I was 13 or 30. You know, like there's a totally totally different experience. And I couldn't tell you logically how I know that. I just know it, you know, and like, and, so that's one of the reasons why somatic experiencing to me is so magical. So it's like what yes. you described like that's that's how I can relate to it, right like absolutely. You know? And I
1: actually have been calling it so for years, I've been calling it Pranavidya because one of my teachers led me to discover Pranavidya, which is a specific Indian mode of energy work that's rooted in tantric traditional yoga. It's quite, what I'm doing is very similar to it. Um, but at the same time, I've started to shift that language, um, because, you know, I'm not of that lineage and, and also, I mean, maybe like there's some past life stuff, I don't know, but you know, um, but I really view it more. I I've been calling it somatic channeling lately Mm. and I view it as super similar to somatic experiencing. It's just that there's, it's, it's almost, um, slightly different you know it's yeah. taking it to almost like more of the energetic level instead of just the somatic right. and it's also it's really what i'm so interested in is the body's unconscious movement mm-hmm. you know when and it's about um i've lately i've been kind of realizing gosh this is it feels like an antidote slash like the antithesis of the current paradigm that we are in Mm -hmm. (laughs) um which is very young which is very when we're talking about spiritual masculine and feminine energies you know just like masculine and feminine at their core it's like the active and the passive the active and the receptive and our culture is very active it's very masculine um, you know, it still is ruled by men, and it is um, produce, produce, produce. Capitalism, go, 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 do, 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 um, and and it's also rooted in logic, in reason, in science, in you know the rational mind. Um, All of that is great. That's one way to experience the world. Um, But this like work is the opposite. It is full yin. It is full reception. It is full allowance. Um, You have to bypass the rational conscious mind in order to allow the unconscious somatic movement to take place. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like such a beautiful tool just to balance out like what most of us like experience on a day-to-day basis, you know, working too hard, like all the things, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, I love that you said, you know, you can't really explain it or, but you know, it, you know, it, and it's about developing your own knowing. Right. And this is where feminine intuition comes in, you know, and, and like, we're so conditioned to be like, no, that's not real, but no, everybody has a deep intuition. Yeah. And learning to trust that is, is important. And I think psychedelics too, like you said, it opens us up to the full spectrum of experience. And that's what I love about them, especially psilocybin, which is what I work with the most. Um, you know, it's like the full range. It can be mm-hmm. everything and anything, which is really powerful, I think.
0: Yeah, there's something... There's something in that direct experience that goes beyond the analytical, that goes beyond the thinking mind. And for me, mm-hmm. that's the discernment because I do live in that world so much. I know what it's mm-hmm. like to be in my head and to have a mindfulness, you know, and meditation practice for so many years that where I can watch that process. I can watch the gears like turning and I can watch the, the meaning channel and the analysis channel like working. And then there's an experience and it could be something like you described, right? Like these big, powerful, like, you know, sort of paradigm shifting moments in your life. It could be, I don't know, for me, it's also like in the totally like mundane minutia sometimes of like watching a hummingbird, you know, or like seeing, you know, like seeing a hawk in the sky at the right moment or Mm -hmm. like, You know, like I have a lot of things with birds, but like there's other things, obviously, but it's like it's where that analysis like just shuts off and you're just in this moment. Like everything just kind of aligns and you're just there and you can just appreciate it and you don't have to sit there and go, wait, what just happened? did that just really happen? (laughs) Like that might happen later on, you know, you might sit there and like journal about it or try to unpack it with, with a therapist or with a coach or whatever, and like delve into it er more, but it happened and you know that it happened and there's no question in your mind whatsoever that like, well, am I crazy? Like, no, no, it it really happened, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And -hmm. then when, Especially when that starts to occur with other people there, when it's not just your energy field, (laughs) when there's, like, somebody else there that can almost, like, validate that, then it adds this other level of, like, magic to it because it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, right. Not only did I see that, you saw it too, so... (laughs)
1: totally and that is that has happened a lot to me lately and it's so cool and also i'll just mention like you're talking about presence you know you're talking about the now just being in presence of the now which is kind of the most natural human state but our conditioning constantly takes us out of it
0: yeah that childlike Um, state
1: a childlike state and it's a non-dual state you Uh know it's a state of it's it's beyond masculine feminine black white it is just all that is you know yeah i i mean those states are just so powerful and beautiful and again like getting out of the analytical mind is so important but so hard you know we all are so heavily conditioned to be in the analytical mind at all times um which is why meditation is so hard for people Hmm. But once you can really get past those, those like blocks and humps in meditation, you know, that's when you can really, really go deep and and explore what's there in that full range outside of your mind.
2: Yeah.
1: And that is like such a, that's my practice. You know, I, I do energy work and meditate almost every day. Um, and like the deeper I go with it, I mean, it's just incredible. Like the first couple of years, it was a lot of clearing of my field. It was a lot of clearing the trauma. Like, oh, my God, here we go again. I'm going to cry. I'm going to shake, you know. (laughs) And now it's a lot of just like deep bliss, euphoria, like that I can get to naturally when I'm not in my analytical mind. Um, And, yeah, it's just it's really cool.
0: How do you think that people can integrate these experiences, especially when they are sort of happening in that looser, uh, you know, rave context or like not mm-hmm. ceremonial or therapeutic set container. Um, how how do we keep it from getting unintegrated or disintegrated?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a great question. So one thing I want to say is I think when people don't integrate, um, this is where addiction can happen, um, because, or psychological dependency. I mean, you even see it, you know, in other psychedelic spaces where you feel like you need to trip right. every month or week or, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, when we're not integrating, that's when we need to keep going back and back and back. But at the same time, people go back more not just because of drugs, you know, people yeah. are going back because of the ritual itself and how powerful and transformative it is. Um, but I think integration can look, it can be as simple as talking to your friends about what happened, journaling, you know, um, for, and also like for me, becoming a DJ was part of my integration with the, mm. the scene, you know, how do you evolve within that space and how do you, um, Put yourself into those those mental spaces at home. You know, listening to music, discovering music, um, dancing. You know, all these things I think are integration tools. Um, and for me, you know, it it has been like to me becoming a DJ and then also creating dance floor epiphanies and really setting an intention to talk about the stories that people are having publicly. Um, And then the energy work, which was, you know, part of my somatic rave experiences, that stuff, you know, doing all of that to me is a form of integration. So, and then also, yeah, like, I mean, just, just be reflecting, you know, being like, I can't tell you you know for example i was in detroit a couple months ago for movement festival and went to no way back which is you know one of my favorite parties of all time and i just felt so incredibly inspired after that so i went home and i started making music Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and it was and it's beyond just making music and feeling inspired it's like this is part of my life purpose, having epiphanies on psychedelics about how deeply I connect to this music, you know? Right. And so rather than just, okay. And, and I'm actually kind, kind of trying to take a break from raving now, um, and teaching so I can focus on that so mm-hmm. I can really go into production.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and do more energy work which are things that came out of the rave, you know? Right. So I think that to me, that's how I integrate personally. Um, But I think it can be as simple as like continuing to be with your community outside of the club, which can be a challenge for people sometimes, but let's all get together in the park and talk about our experiences at the rave, you know? Yeah, yeah. and just bringing some awareness and, and consciousness to it, you know? and through reflection like whoa what just happened there you know Mm. um that's where the analytical mind can be great you know let's we had this moment of deep presence in our bodies and now let's like think about that what does that mean to us um so yeah yeah, i think that that's what i would
2: say
0: i'm glad that you brought up detroit because that's Mm -hmm. definitely been a place that um has been very special to me as far as the you know, sort of spiritual aspect of raving. And there was also Mm -hmm. like this really cool quote that you had put in your talk that I liked that says, this is a psychedelic safe space, a harassment free zone, where you can let go from the form society forces you to hold and be totally free. The you beyond boundaries, beyond the limitations of others, perceptions. This is something for your mind, your body and your soul. When you feel this freedom, when you touch what you may have thought was untouchable, you'll quickly realize that there's no way back. This is an eternal concept. We didn't invent this, and the people who may think they did, didn't either. This is our cultural heritage from a time before history. It's taken many forms from dancing around the fire at a coming-of-age ceremony, imbibing Soma, to losing it on the dance floor.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, there's... There's so much of that that sort of encapsulates what we've been talking about and even takes it deeper, you know, like the fact that the the primary, you know, sort of music that's happening in the rave context is, you know, this 4-4, four, four, you know, constant beat, which is also mm-hmm. what the shaman uses during a drum journey. That that yes. constant beat in union with that syncopation, you know, so there's those yes. two things happening at once, um, right. you know, the, so yeah. And, and just the fact that that's from Detroit is could yeah. be a, a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. You know? So
1: totally. Yeah. So that quote um, is um, a description from the, that is how no way back the, this party that's thrown by interdimensional transmissions, which is a collective and a label um, and they throw out this party every year. It's iconic. Um, that's how they describe the party. That's the description from the resident advisor um, blurb. <laughs> so yeah, they're such an amazing, talented, talented crew that cares a lot, you know, and really, and really is is coming from this very intentional perspective, and yeah I just I love the way they describe that party. and it's it's part of no way back is actually part of a weekend long event in Detroit called Return to the Source. So it's separate from the festival. It's an after party
2: right.
1: Um, but it's literally like starts on Friday, ends on Monday morning, Tuesday morning. <laughs> it's just nonstop pretty much. So you can, I mean, yeah, honestly, most years I'd pretty much just stay there and just dip in and out and it's amazing it's like transformative it's a portal you go in and you come out as somebody else so yeah detroit too you know of course like i'll mention for those who don't know detroit is the birthplace of techno music so um you know it has detroit's extremely important in in rave history and it was you know, the music was born from black musicians, um, a particular group of people known as the Bellevue three. And uh, yeah, I mean like the, the roots of electronic music reside in Detroit yeah. and, and Chicago. So yeah, it's worth, worth mentioning.
0: It was, it was so cool for me to start going there, you know, like just being mostly familiar with like the Southern California, like rave culture and rave scene and mm-hmm. going there and, and, and having the experience that techno is so part of like the mainstream culture of the city, you know, mm-hmm. cause like a lot, even though there's this big culture in LA, like a lot of it is underground, you know, yeah. and, and the, the underground
1: techno community in la is in, it's just amazing yeah i mean it's, it's the warehouse culture there is wild yeah
0: <laughs> but, but like the, the first time i went to detroit even before movement started we went and saw you know carl craig playing this little tiny dive bar and there were like literally people yes. with like walkers and canes on the dance floor like I'm like, yes. what are these old people doing here? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. what like this is and like the fact that like, people bring their kids and their families to yeah. the festival and just like it was like, oh wow, this is so cool that it's just so integrated with the the culture of the city. Yes. You know? Yes.
1: That's funny you mentioned that the very first time I went to Detroit. I went to Motor City Wine, Divey Little venue and Carl Craig was playing on the back patio to like 12 people and it was like half his family it was just I was like what is going on right like, you know <laughs> it was just um yeah so special so special um so yeah it's very it's woven into the fabric it's part of the history of the city you know and I think uh that's kind of one of the cool things about movement weekend is it's um it seems very embraced by the people of Detroit, you know, they recognize it as a part of their cultural history. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, Um, and some, some really important things for me in terms of like integration and what I would call evolution have occurred during movement, you know, like it took, it took me like a few years to figure it out, but like the beginning of, my decision to like stop drinking alcohol like occurred Mm -hmm. in the you know in the middle of movement and um coming out of you know my divorce and like going to movement after sort of this hibernation period and grief like completely opened me up to the relationship i'm in now and the the path that i'm on now as like a you know coach Mm -hmm. and breathwork facilitator and like mm-hmm. so yeah all and all of that happened without that ceremonial or therapeutic setting so yeah you know it, it, yeah. it, it does go to show you know even though we're talking about our experiences um in the eaches and the individual um this example of like what you know what you really did a deep dive in in your talk and like the reason that i felt so inspired to like share that on this podcast cuz it wasn't just me and that was something that i noticed was like yeah. after your talk there was this whole group of people that kind of mobbed you and were like yes like thank you for saying this thing that i've been thinking or trying to express for for years and that nobody gets that there is this ritual aspect and, you know, outside of like maybe the grateful dead doesn't really exist in that same context in our, Mm -hmm. you know, current culture and climate.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I was, I was so moved by the response and how many people it resonated with and Um, and, and it was wild to me. People would like clap at some of the things I would say. It was like, okay, I'm truly not alone here. You know, there's other people who, yeah, get this. And, and there needs to be, this needs to be talked about a bit more, I think. And, um, and I'll just share it, like not to go so negative or anything, but, um, I had heard from a friend that there was someone who was really, um, not okay with the fact that I gave this talk, and mm. uh, you know, and I think this is part of why it moves people so much when someone puts a voice to these things because it is still heavily stigmatized. Um, yeah. Recreational use is seen as like not okay uh, in the psychedelic community by some people, and yet I think it's really we can't just dismiss this ritual. It's it's also a movement. I mean rave culture it's a global movement and also for people who maybe um you know have really particular views about how psychedelics should be used and and again i'm i am i went through a full training like i am like an intentional psychedelic guide you know i i understand those viewpoints very much um but at the same time we it's also important to just say like this is the place that people get into psychedelics for the first time often you know so many people who have never taken a psychedelic before they do it at the rave and that might lead them into a path of deepening their relationship with psychedelics you know so it's an entry point it's a it's an entry point to a specific world, but also many worlds, um, because it's a cross section of movement and dance and music and psychedelics and healing, right. um, and to be to to go through that experience with other people is, you know, such a beautiful thing to be exposed to so so much at once, and um, so I think like again, this is why I I don't think people yes, like, again, safety is very important. And, um, but I think it would be a shame to just dismiss recreational use altogether because there's a lot to be discovered and explored within these spaces and what's actually happening. It's, it's more than just a party. Um, so, and yeah, and like it, it, I was already, you know, intentionally using psychedelics before I found of this and um and as somebody who was coming from the santo daimi community Mm -hmm. you know like that's like when i found this raving i was like this is interesting and important you know (laughs) so it, it it's not like it for me it wasn't the entry point to psychedelics and i still found it to be extremely powerful and just as potent if not more potent than my experiences in the santo daimi yeah so because I it's because it's of my culture right you know i don't speak portuguese and i was being forced to sing in portuguese for eight hours
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's like so not to it's okay like right. if that is what people connect with of course but it comes back to rave is it's like a modern form of these lost rituals yeah um so yeah
0: yeah i i, I... Definitely, there are people that feel that way. Um, like that this isn't valid or they might, you know, be critical or judgmental. Um I will be the first one to say that like, at, from where I sit, it's very easy for me to be judgmental and critical and and to look at certain s- situations and say, wow, it looks like there's a lot of unintegrated, like work here and there is and there is and there is and And i think what you and i are saying is through this conversation is a you don't have to necessarily agree with it but there's more to be gained by being curious than judgmental and like like Mm -hmm. be curious be open-minded maybe it's not your thing maybe you're not going to be standing next to us on the dance floor at three in the morning like having the time of your life but (laughs) you know be curious rather than judgmental about it and open to the fact that there are different paths there are different ways into um the sort of into the sacred into the into the presence of the divine and And Um, into
1: the self, into the body. Right. Even if someone's not overtly spiritual, not everyone in the rave community is. Yeah. Ways into the self, and and even if it brings up darkness, right? Even if Mm. someone has a terrible experience at the rave, which does happen. Right. You know, oh my gosh! Like all of the material, the shadow material that's uncovered through that, that may not have been exposed otherwise, is a place to start. And, and I think that, um, you know, again, it's like if we, it, it, to me, I see it as a sort of getting outside of the dualistic good and bad. It's it's all self, it's all important to think about. and And sure, okay, maybe there's a lot of unintegrated material, but for some people, you know, maybe Maybe going to Peru and doing ayahuasca with a shaman, right. or maybe hiring a psychedelic facilitator one-on-one is not the path for them. Yeah. And yet healing is what matters. And um I I had a friend recently say to me, like, because I've been struggling a lot with whether or not I want to continue DJing and how far do I want to go down that path? I don't know when I really feel like deep down I'm a healer. And he was like, Stop thinking of it as like one or the other. Like, your DJing is healing for people, your energy work is healing for people. It's all healing, you know? And I was like, gosh, you're so right. Um, and another thing I'll mention in this line, just to follow my train of thought, um, is uh, I actually was on another podcast that talked about the parallels between energy work and DJing. And there's so many. Right. Um, And I view them as both They're literally just both ways of modulating energy. Sound is frequency. And with DJing, you know, you're using external tools to affect and modulate energy and frequency for others and energy work. You're using internal tools to do that. Um, so it's all healing work, you know, and, (laughs) and You know, and and again, I really hope I'm not coming off as critical or judgmental because I truly believe that all the psychedelic spaces are beautiful and important, and I love them all. I've explored so many, you know, and um, so I just think, like you said, though, but approaching all of them um, from a place of curiosity and thinking about, okay, even in the worst case scenario maybe there's something to be learned there. Maybe there's, that was actually a good thing for somebody. And this comes back to staying open to the full range of experience that psychedelics allow for,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Having curiosity, having an open mind and and just saying like, you know what, maybe I don't understand this, but can I have curiosity about it? And maybe it's not for me and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. but for some people, this is a good way and you don't have to be like, I think like, I'm not sure if we I think we were talking about this before we started, but like, you know, even, even without that context of spirituality, like when, when I started um, using psychedelics, it wasn't like, Oh, I want to go and have this spiritual awakening, but the experiences that I was having more times than not, were leading me in that direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's something that goes beyond the label and the, you know, the analysis that's that heart opening and that connection to spirit through the heart. Um, mm-hmm. and that is something that the rave environment does very well because partially because of MDMA partially because of the community and mm-hmm. partially because of, the people who came together to say, you know what? There's so much in life where I am feeling judged and, you know, sort of isolated and not accepted. And I want to create this container as the antithesis of that. I want to create this place where I feel safe, where I feel accepted. And, you know, you mentioned the music and to me, some of the most powerful, um, dance music that I still come back to and I still get chills listening to is the music that, that, that plays right into that. Like, yes, there are amazing Mm -hmm. songs that are open to interpretation because they have no words whatsoever. Right. But then, you know, there's the other side of it where it's like, no, let's just lean into that. You know, if you think about, um, you know, even within that thing that I read, you know something for your mind your body and your soul i mean mm-hmm. i instantly think of a particular song when i hear that mm-hmm. or you know I, th- I can think of eddie amador's house music like not everyone mm-hmm. understands house music it's a spiritual mm-hmm. thing a body totally. thing a soul exactly. thing exactly you know and that
1: is uh and when you and when you are experiencing that and in an altered state and you hear those words, oh my gosh, it's right. just so powerful. I mean, that's also one great thing about house music. Well, electronic music in general that does incorporate vocals is like the vocals are very intentional a lot of the time, you know? Right,
2: right.
1: And uh, yeah, it's, it's so great. And um, now I, yeah. And I wanna mention too, I, I talked about this a lot in my talk. Like I talk a lot about the power of dance, but um, it's it's joyful. It's joyful. And, you know, and again, talking about the full range of psychedelics. Yeah, it can be painful. It can be hard. And it can also be really fun and really joyful. And I think we underestimate um, the power of joy as a healing tool. You know, healing doesn't always have to be. It's all dark all the time. Um, to experience a frequency of joy and lightness and happiness in your body in a state of celebration with others is deeply healing. It's deeply healing, especially for those who struggle with chronic depression, you know, who don't know how to experience joy in their body. I think dance, again, it it brings us back to the body in a particular way, like for those who have had physical trauma, um, you know, who, who, you know, have gender, dysmorphia and you know things like that it can really um be a beautiful thing to feel oh my gosh i feel good in my body because i'm dancing and i'm happy like that is that's something that you know it it's not something we get every day um so that's medicine too and yeah and then um yeah i was just gonna yeah. probably mention something else but
0: <laughs> when i started studying buddhism and Particularly being exposed to this idea of bodhicitta, the you know the universal compassion that you would mm-hmm. treat everyone as with the same love and compassion that a mother would treat their children. Um. Immediately, the only frame of reference that I had for that was the feeling of being on MDMA at a rave and like the fact that you could meet somebody and immediately be as feel as close to them as like your best friend, that there was mm-hmm. absolutely no separation there. And, yeah. um, you know, this might be like a good way to kind of wrap this up is this, uh, this quote that I took from your talk. I hope it's okay. Cause you mm-hmm. took it from Eris drew. Um, mm-hmm. this is beautiful quote. Um, I found the oneness and ego loss I experienced at raves on MDMA, extremely healing. The feeling is like a kind of universal empathy, which extends to people that you don't know people different than you. And importantly, yourself, the impact when you're dancing is an openness to the emotional content of the music and a feeling of oneness with the people around you. That is the ideal of dance music, as imperfect and flawed as it is in actual execution because of power structures, inequality, racism, sexism, ableism, and transphobia. These structures exist even if it feels like they fade away in the mental state catalyzed by the drug. Accordingly, for someone who isn't grounded in radical politics, MDMA could look like a cure-all for society's ills. As I've learned, the drug is no panacea, but MDMA does offer a glimpse of an improbable utopia whose lasting spiritual resonance can be a motivational force for change, healing, and growth. The reason mm-hmm. I think MDMA is so powerful in the context of rave culture is that it creates a sense of community on the dance floor. Ecstatic rituals in most cultures appear to center around communities. The ritual serves a myth-making function for the group and solidifies community values. It is axiomatic that having intense experiences with others binds you to them. In many cultures, specific rituals signposts coming of age and maturity. And that was from Eris Drew from mm. More Than a Party.
1: Oh, so good. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. For listeners who don't know, she's a DJ and uh, she's just um, a powerful writer, incredible DJ. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for for reading that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And thank you for Mm -hmm. I mean, like a, a lot of this was, you know, kind of focused for me by your talk. So thank you so much for you know, having the courage to, Mm -hmm. to, to share that. And, you know, I, I feel, okay, maybe there was, maybe not everybody in the room, like, was as supportive, but I, it certainly resonated with me. And like I was mentioning, there was like this whole group of people that wanted to share and connect with you after the talk. And so it was very evidence to me that you were, saying something that a lot of other people felt and maybe never had the um, the opportunity to share or to crystallize it in that way and i think it's an important you know thing to mention especially as psychedelics become come out more into the mainstream you know like we've talked during this conversation about these super underground parties, right? And at the same Mm -hmm. time now, there's, like, these giant festivals and things that are very mainstream, uh, at least comparatively to, like, where we started or some of the events that we've been to, you know, like – you know dancing in the woods or in the desert you know yeah. with generators and like the dark yes you know for, for hours favorite. right <laughs> right exactly um so but as as psychedelics as a sort of monolith and i don't think that psychedelics are a monolith but if you wanted to put it in that context as it continues to grow and come out into the mainstream zeitgeist more there are these divergent paths and these different ways to the center. And Mm -hmm. personally, I think that the rave is as valid in that conversation as any other set and setting. And I appreciate that you did such an amazing job of like really bringing that in a lot of its complexity. You know, Mm -hmm. bringing the set and setting into it, bringing the harm reduction into it, bringing the just being honest and saying there are dark parts to this. There are unintegrated and like dependency things. And just like you said, that doesn't stop anybody from going to an ayahuasca ceremony or, um, you know, any of these other contexts where, let's face it, those things are happening as well. So, you know, I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation
1: absolutely thank you so much for yeah just asking me to come on and i'm glad that it resonated with you and um yeah and i think it's it is an important thing to at least put into the, the larger conversation. Um, and like you said, I mean, it, it's interesting how many people since then have reached out to say, just thank you for validating my experience where yeah. I've generally felt like invalidated. Right. And um, so I think, yeah, we, we shouldn't be invalidating anyone's experience. You know, we should be open to the variety of experience that can occur in combination with psychedelics. And, um, like you said, it's a path towards the center and, you know, as a deeply spiritual person, like what I'm connecting with most besides other people is myself at the rave is that, that, that sacred center point, you know, um, of it's like the eye it's, it's the Shishima channel. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's the divine and like, that is, that is, um, I think that can be accessed in many settings so including the rave (laughs)
2: yeah
1: um and one last little thing just i want to throw out there is like a just something to think about because i've been thinking about it lately since i live in colorado i think it's interesting colorado is one of the epicenters of electronic music in the u.s um i mean massive massive electronic music culture here and it's also an epicenter of psychedelics and i think that there's that's not a coincidence. I think that there's synchronicity around that. So um just something to consider. The two go very hand in hand. Um, so yeah.
0: yeah. Well, anyway, Taylor, uh, thank you. Yeah, Taylor, thank you so much. Um, where can people get a hold of you should they want to learn more or work with you? I know you yeah, are,
1: definitely. have a
0: lot of different uh, you know, projects <laughs> and things that you're working with. So
1: yeah, thanks. Yeah, my website is the best place, just Um, It has everything I do on there, including my DJ life. And then if people want to find my music, they can go to SoundCloud. It's just look me up, Taylor Bratches, on the SoundCloud page. That's where all of my DJ mixes are. Um, or my Instagram, which is just at taylorbratches.com. And I also have another Instagram account uh, called the somatic channeling Institute, where I focus on the energy work stuff that I was talking about. So yeah.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely put some links on the show page for that. And I hope that for you listening or watching this, that um, at the very least this came across with some curiosity. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you know ask some questions or think about things in a different context and um you know like i think the vital point of this conversation to me is having that curiosity rather than that judgment like we uh, were talking about you know and there mm-hmm. is a wide world out there and just because you haven't experienced a particular thing doesn't make it any less valid Um, or real for the people that are experiencing it, and that's okay. So just stay curious, keep practicing, and uh, we'll see you next time on The Vital Point.